0: Father, we need you. Without you, there is no living hope, but with you, there is always living hope. And there is an empty cross and an empty tomb outside of Jerusalem that prove to us that with Jesus, we are never without hope. So I pray that this morning your word would take root in the hearts of your people, that your spirit would use your word to point us to Jesus as our living hope. Work in us, work on us this morning through your spirit and for your glory. May you enable me to preach your word accurately, clearly, and passionately to point each of us to Jesus, our living hope. In his name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, team, for leading us so well this morning. I invite you to open your copy of the Scriptures to Mark chapter 14 this morning. Mark chapter 14. If if you are new here, we have been working our way through Mark's Gospel verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, scene by scene, And if you don't have a copy of a Bible with you, you'll find a Bible near you in the hymnal rack of the pew in front of you, page 1013 in that copy of the church Bible. And if you remember all the way back to January, when we were kind of right in the middle of Mark's gospel, we set a theme for this year. Jesus living his life on purpose, demonstrating for us what it looks like and sounds like to care for others. Ultimately, Jesus living His life on purpose will lead to death for Him because He cares for us, to demonstrate His care for us. As sinners, He takes our place. And so listen, if if we are going to understand how to care well for others, we have to pay attention when Jesus is caring well for others in His life and his ministry. And he's doing that this morning, even though the cross is now only hours away for him. He is caring well for one of his own who will deny him. It's Peter. It's Peter. And so let's dive into the text this morning, a very familiar text. And one of the hardest things a preacher will ever do is preach a familiar text. Because so many of us already know this story. We've heard it since we were children in Sunday school. And so let's really focus this morning on what God has for us in a very familiar text. Let's ask him to give us fresh eyes to see it like we never have before. Verse 66 of Mark 14, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, while Jesus is undergoing trial in Caiaphas' house, Peter's below in the courtyard, and one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of our God. Brokenness is the path to usefulness and blessedness. On July 16 of 1999, the only surviving son of John F. and Jacqueline Kennedy was killed in a plane crash off the shores of Martha's Vineyard. JFK Jr. seemed to have everything going for him. He was a media darling who fit in with both the Hollywood elite and the Washington politicians. Many had predicted big things for JFK Jr., including a possible run at the White House. But when his small airplane went down in the Atlantic, this young man's bright future suddenly was snuffed out. In many ways, JFK Jr. mirrors the disciple named Peter. Of all the disciples, we would say Peter has so much going for him. He's a natural born leader, a typical type A personality. He doesn't back down from danger. And he's he's never been afraid to speak the truth about Jesus. I mean, Peter would tell you that he would tell you like he told Jesus that that he really, really, really loves Jesus more than any of the other followers of Jesus. He's all in for Jesus. That's Peter. He's deeply committed to Jesus. He's strong and courageous for Jesus. So what would it take for Peter to crash and burn as a follower of Jesus? What would it take to bring him down? The answer? One young servant girl. And we may think that the big lesson from this scene is what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And while we do see that principle being played out here in Peter's fall, there's something about Jesus that Peter will learn only on the other side of his fall. It's this, that as sinners, Jesus is our only hope. That's the big idea of this scene, because like Humpty Dumpty in the old nursery rhyme who took a great fall, Peter's about to do the same, and all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put Peter together again, but Jesus can, and Jesus does. Because Jesus' grace is bigger and stronger and greater than all our sin. Every single one. You know we have a hard time believing that. Because our conscience speaks against that. Our conscience knows nothing of grace. It only knows guilt. That's why people will say things like, you know, I'm too bad to be forgiven. I've done too much. I've gone too far for far too long. You see, with our conscience, there is no forgiveness. But with Christ, there is. He is our only hope because in Him we receive sin-forgiving, shame-defeating, guilt-overcoming grace. So I need to ask, do you believe that? I mean, down deep within your soul, do you believe that Jesus is your only hope? That His grace is powerful enough and big enough and great enough to forgive you and restore you even when you've fallen and fallen hard. I will never forget the day I was sitting in a restaurant with a young man who a couple years before had come to Jesus out of drug use. And I was sitting with him because he had just blown it. He had just been arrested for DUI. And during that conversation, I did not have to convince him that he had sinned. I had to convince him that God wasn't done with him after he'd sinned. His words to me were something like this, I don't think my relationship with God will ever be what it once was. God has put me on the shelf. And I said to him, no, 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 no. God hasn't put you on the shelf. You've put yourself on the shelf. You may be done with you, but God isn't done with you. And the reason I know that is that you're still here. You're still alive. You're still breathing. And when I said that, I wasn't minimizing the seriousness of his sin or the consequences that would certainly accompany his sin. I was glorifying the Jesus of grace who would forgive his sin and restore him after he had sinned, if only he would repent of his sin. Because when you're a follower of Jesus, your sin will not have the final say with you. Jesus' grace will... And that's what Peter has to learn, and there's only one way for him to learn that: is through brokenness. He will learn that even after he has set the stage for his own epic failure. Because when we take a look, just a peek back at the backstory to Peter's failure, we can identify how he gets, how he gets here. He's been showing signs that he's pinning his hopes on himself and not on Jesus. And that all begins with sign number one, he's been dismissing God's word. He's been dismissing what Jesus has been saying. It's what Peter does back in verse 26 of Mark chapter 14, where Jesus says to his disciples, guys, listen, I want you guys to know what is going to happen later tonight. Again, Jesus caring for his disciples. He's telling them what's coming. Right here on the Mount of Olives, he says, Zechariah 13, verse 7, is going to be fulfilled. When I'm arrested, all of you are going to scatter like sheep without a shepherd. You're all going to desert me. You're all going to abandon me, just as God has said. And when Jesus says that, all the other disciples, they're picking their jaws up off the ground, but Peter's engaging his jaw, and he says to Jesus, I get that all these guys around me are capable of abandoning you, but but Jesus, you don't know me. I'm a disciple first class. I'm your go-to guy. And Jesus says, Peter, listen, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Jesus, Jesus, let's just back the truck up. I, I know all that God said back in Zechariah 13. I know that he said we would all fall away. But Jesus, I'm Peter. I'm the rock. And so what you say may apply to these other guys. But it doesn't apply to me. Because even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Please listen, please the first sign that we're pinning our hopes on self rather than Jesus is that we dismiss what he says. God's word may apply to others, but I'm good. I've got this. I'm enough for this. And when we begin thinking that way, we will inevitably begin displaying sign number two. We will neglect prayer. Because that's what's Peter, what Peter's done back in verse 37 of Mark 14. Do you remember? Jesus brings Peter and James and John into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with him. And Peter can't stay up long enough to get prayed up. And when he falls asleep, Jesus says to him, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Because although your spirit is willing, Peter, although your heart's in this, your flesh is weak. You're not strong enough to handle what's coming. Peter, you're going to fold up like a deck chair. Listen, listen carefully. Listen, prayer says, I can't, God, but you can. Prayer says, I'm not enough, God, but you are. Prayer says, I don't need more of me, God. I need more of you. But when we're prayerless, we will begin to exhibit sign number three. We'll begin taking matters into our own hands. You see the progression here. We dismiss God's word. We neglect prayer. And then we will take matters into our own hands. We'll do our own thing in our own time and our own way. And that's Peter back in verse 47 of Mark chapter 14. When, when Jesus is arrested, you remember how Peter responds? He, he draws a sword and he takes off a soldier's ear with that sword. It's Peter to the rescue. It's Peter playing the hero here. No worries, Jesus. I've got your back. I'm going to save the Savior. It sounds so ridiculous. Because it is. And when we set our hope on self as though we were our own Savior, it's a very short trip to denying the Savior just like Peter I mean, we've been watching him set himself up for this. We've seen it coming from a mile away. But not Peter, because when you're all wrapped up in you, you can't see temptation coming after you. Pride blinds you to the danger. You don't feel vulnerable. You feel invincible. You're up for this. You're enough for this. That's got to be Peter's mindset when Jesus is arrested and then is being led through the darkened streets of Jerusalem because Peter's been following Jesus from a distance, all the way to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And while Jesus is undergoing this mock trial in Caiaphas' house, Peter isn't too far away from Jesus. He's in the lower courtyard. He's warming his hands at a fire there. He's going to prove Jesus wrong. He's going to show Jesus what he's made of because there are Roman soldiers and temple police officers and even high priest's servants there in the courtyard with him. He's on enemy turf here. And so it's the perfect place for Peter to prove his loyalty to Jesus. But that's when suddenly, in the flickering light of a fire, a young servant girl catches a glimpse of Peter's face, and she does a double take. She sees him, and then she looks at him. Luke chapter 22 says that she stares him down, and when she does, it clicks. She's seen him before. She knows it. And so she says to Peter, you were with the Nazarene Jesus. And Peter panics. He never saw this coming. He never expected to be recognized. It's the middle of the night. There are no streetlights there in the courtyard. Just little fires to provide some warmth. And he, he probably has his outer robe draped over his head like it's a first century hoodie. He thinks he's safe. He's got this. He can pull this off. After all, he isn't well-known down in Jerusalem. He's from way up north in Galilee. But then, out of nowhere, a nameless young servant girl recognizes him. You were with the Nazarene Jesus. And those words are all it takes to bring big, bad Peter down. No, 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 no. I don't understand. I have no idea what you are talking about. Peter suddenly sounds like a politician, right? He's being evasive. He's giving a non-answer. I neither know nor understand what you are saying. But Peter is lying. He totally gets what she's saying. And out of fear of a 12 or 13-year-old servant girl, Peter denies ever having been with Jesus. And then he turns to walk away from that servant girl and from the fire. He's moving into the shadows. Now he's scared. He's living in the old Southwest Airlines commercial. He just wants to get away. And so he moves into the gateway of the courtyard. But since Jesus' trial is already underway... The gate is probably locked. It's probably under guard. And as he's standing there in the gateway, he hears a sound that must pierce his soul like a dagger. A rooster crows. But he doesn't have time to consider what that means because that servant girl has him in the crosshairs. She isn't going to let Peter slip away. And so she says to some of the bystanders, Hey, there he is. He's one of them. And and Peter doesn't just deny that he's with Jesus. Matthew actually tells us that Peter uses an oath to bolster his case. With God as my witness. Listen, I swear, I do not know this man. You see, this denial is different. It's premeditated. Peter isn't caught off guard here. He's walking into this one with his eyes wide open. He's sticking around to prove that he's a man of his word because he promised Jesus, but he's still hanging his hopes on himself and not on Jesus. You see, listen, listen carefully. Pride plus presumption plus prayerlessness does not make you strong, it makes you weak and vulnerable and susceptible. And Peter must be feeling that because now he's on the move around the courtyard. He's darting from shadow to shadow. He's avoiding people. He's wanting to remain anonymous. But all that does is make him more conspicuous. Luke tells us that an hour goes by. So Peter can probably hear the shouts of blasphemy to death with Jesus. Those words being hurled at Jesus inside the house when a group of bystanders approaches Peter again. Certainly you are one of Jesus' followers. It's obvious your Galilean accent is a dead giveaway. And in John chapter 18, we learn who questions Peter this time. It's a relative of a man named Malchus. You say, that name sounds familiar. That's because Malchus is the guy whose ear Peter lopped off in the Garden of Gethsemane. And now this relative of Malchus points a finger at Peter and says, I saw you there in the garden with Jesus. Peter's been had. He's caught. And he knows it. And so he ups the ante. He doubles down and he goes all in on denying Jesus by invoking a curse on himself. Now listen, I've debated all week long. I debated while I was walking up the steps right here to pray just before I started preaching. I've debated all week about whether or not I should say what I need to say. Whether or not I should be honest about what Peter says. You know, we're tempted to sanitize Scripture. We clean it up a bit. We'll soften the language a bit. But when we do that, we diminish the power of the sin-overcoming grace of Jesus. I am not about to condone what Peter is saying. I do not use language like this But we need to be honest about the depravity that's coming out of Peter's mouth when he says, I'll be damned if I know this Jesus of whom you speak. It's not a slip of the tongue. In fact, the verb tense in the Gospels tells us that Peter keeps repeating that phrase like a broken record. And as Peter is cursing and swearing, attempting to distance himself from Jesus, a rooster crows a second time, and instantly Peter remembers what Jesus had said, that before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Jesus not only knew that it would happen, he knows when it does happen. Because Luke tells us that when the rooster crows a second time, Jesus has already been brought out into the courtyard after the trial. His face, puffy and bloody from being beaten. His beard is dripping with the religious leader's spit. His robe is covered in blood that had oozed from his sweat glands as he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. And from across the courtyard and through swollen and bloodshot eyes, Jesus locks eyes with Peter. It was just a look, but it spoke volumes, and Peter breaks down and weeps. He's been brought to the end of himself. But the end of himself is the only place he can learn that his only hope is Jesus because Jesus specializes in restoring the fallen and rebuilding the sinner. In taking the broken and putting them back together again. I'm so thankful that Peter's story does not end in Mark 14 with his sin. It ends in John 21 with Jesus' grace. Because after, Peter, after Jesus dies and rises again, Peter has gone back to his day job. He's gone back to fishing. He can't shake the guilt that's dogging him and the shame that's haunting him. He's done. He's finished. He's shelved. Until Jesus shows up and chases Peter down, not to condemn him, but to forgive him and restore him, to show him that he loves Peter with a love that will not let him go. And there where Peter has been fishing on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus asks three times, one for each denial, Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter answers Jesus, Jesus, you know that I love you. And three times Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Follow me. I'm not done with you. I'm enough for you. I haven't shelved you. My grace is greater than your sin. Even your worst sin. I'm not going to let you quit on me because I will never quit on you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Not just that that's true for Peter. But that it's true for you. Do you believe that Jesus' grace is greater than even your worst sin. And so it's enough for all your sins. Have you come to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins? You see, to do that, to do that, you have to stop pinning your hopes on yourself and pin all your hopes only on Jesus. Because forgiveness is something we could never earn It's something only Jesus can earn for us. It's only his grace. It's the grace that says, Peter, I won't let you be condemned for your sin. I will be condemned for you. I will step in and take what you deserve. In your place, on your behalf. So that you will be free from the sin that haunts you. Do you believe that for you? Are you free? Are you forgiven? Is Jesus your only hope of salvation? Can you stand shoulder to shoulder and say, it is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, that I will be accepted by God? Do you believe 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, which says, For our sake, God the Father made Jesus the Son to be sin, who knew no sin. Why? So that we might be credited with His righteousness. And only His righteousness is enough to overcome our sin and grant us entrance into His heaven. You believe that? You believe Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift from God. It is not of works, lest any of us should boast. Do you believe John 3, verse 16, which says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, Pastor Ken, I would love to believe that. I'd love to know that. I'd love to be free from my sin and my guilt and my condemnation. But you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You're right. You're right. But I do know this. I know that Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. Regardless of where they've been, regardless of what they've done, because Jesus' grace is enough. Would you come to Him? Would you bow before Him? He's chasing you down like He does Peter. Would you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved? Right here, right now. You see the love of Jesus for Peter. The same love Jesus has for you. It was the same cross on which Jesus died to pay the price for Peter's sin. That he will pay the price for your sin. If you'll trust in him. Set your hope on Jesus. And when we do that, when we set our hope on Jesus as the one and only Savior from our sins, then there are three takeaways from this scene for us as followers of Jesus. Because, hey, listen, in this story, we're all Peter. We're all Peter. Peter's story demonstrates That we're all weak in the face of temptation. That none of us is above even the worst of sins. And so first, let's acknowledge that we desperately need the grace of Jesus to keep us from sin. We can't do it on our own. Let's search for signs that we are trying to do it on our own, that we're hanging our hopes on self rather than Jesus. Are we dismissing God's Word as though it doesn't apply to us? Are are we neglecting prayer because we've got this, we can do this, we're enough for this? Are we taking matters into our own hands? Are Are we trying to be the hero of our own story? Do we really need Jesus? Tomorrow morning when you wake up, are you going to need Jesus? Tomorrow at work, you're going to need Jesus. Coming home for dinner, you're going to need Jesus. Going to bed tomorrow night, will you need Jesus? Yes, we do. We are foolish, he is wise. We are weak, he is strong. We are vulnerable, he is invincible. And that's why he says in John 15, verse 5, Without me, you can do nothing. We desperately need the grace of Jesus to keep us from sin. And secondly, we desperately need the grace of Jesus when we do sin. Everyone in this room who's a follower of Jesus has blown it after coming to Jesus. We are not here to throw stones at Peter. All of us in this room can identify with Peter and say, I know, I've been there, I've done that. Or maybe this morning you're right smack dab in the middle of doing that. Maybe it's something you've been hiding, thinking you were going to get away with it, like Peter here. Maybe you've been flirting with sexual sin, maybe it's porn, maybe... Maybe you're toying with the idea of giving your heart away to that coworker who's been showing you some extra attention. And you're about to be unfaithful to your spouse. Or maybe the pressures of life are piling up, and, and the way you're dealing with that, you're you're not you're not claiming 1 Peter 5 7 that we read earlier, casting all our cares on him because he cares for us. Instead, you're self medicating. Or maybe anger is getting the best of you. Or you're entertaining thoughts of vengeance against someone who's hurt you. But you're right in the middle of these sins. It could be a hundred different sins. But Peter's story shows us that Jesus is more willing to forgive us than we are to ask him. Peter's story shows us that Jesus is more willing to restore us than we are to be restored. When Jesus chases Peter down to forgive him and restore him, it's real world proof that what God promises in 1 John 1 verse 9 is true. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. Do you believe that your sin isn't too much for Jesus' grace? Do you believe that when you confess your sins to Him, you will receive forgiveness from Him? Do you believe that your relationship with Him can be better in the days ahead than it's ever been before? That's what His grace can do and will do. It isn't just that we desperately need His grace to keep us from sin and to forgive us when we sin. We desperately need His grace, thirdly, to enable us to show grace to others when they've sinned against us. How can I hold a grudge against someone and withhold forgiveness from them? Maybe it's a spouse, my kids, my parents, a brother or sister in Jesus. How can I hold a grudge and withhold forgiveness from them when I've been forgiven so much by Jesus? So Bethel, let's be an Ephesians 4, verse 32 kind of people. Let's be kind to one another, tender hearted. Let's be forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. I, that, that's hard. That, that's beyond us. Especially when others have deeply hurt us. So the only way we'll be able to faithfully forgive when we've been hurt deeply is to hang all our hope on Jesus. But with Jesus comes grace. To care for others like Jesus, cares for Peter and for you. And that's why Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, verses 10 and 11, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. Set your hopes on Jesus. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, may you take your word and plant it deep within us, shape and fashion us, in your likeness, and for your glory. And may our response this morning not be, thank you, God, I'm not like Peter. May our response this morning be, oh, God, thank you, that in Jesus and because of Jesus, that when I sin, you will treat me like Peter. You're a good God. You're a forgiving God. You're a restoring God. May we trust you and set our hope only on you. In Jesus' name, amen.